Oh, that's a great question. Um... Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast. We are erasing shame about mental health by having honest talk for healthy living. We are so glad you can join us. Hello, and welcome to Erasing Shame. This is our summer series about mental health. My name is Jeremiah Chuang, and we're going to be talking with Jessica Chenfeng about queer Christian mental health and also intergenerational issues. Could you tell us about your passion for mental health and your professional expertise as well? Uh, also include your background. Sure. Okay, so um, I identify as a second generation Taiwanese American. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, specifically Hacienda Heights, and I've always lived in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, let's see, professionally, I am a marriage and family therapist. I've been practicing for, wait, 2018? Since 2005, 2006. And so um, a little over 10 years. And uh, in the last few years, I've been both a professor of marriage and family therapy as well as I have my own private practice. Yeah, and a lot of my areas of expertise, I don't particularly like that word, but something that I continue to grow, to learn about, and to love working with is Asian American Christian population, Um, a lot of women, a lot of couples, all sorts of clientele, yeah. Cool, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Today we're gonna focus on one of your interests with talking about queer Christians uh, and what it's like for them to interact with mental health or uh, also just general emotional well-being and such. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it's maybe helpful to talk a little bit about my interest and how it came about. Okay. So um, I think most people who value and care about any sort of marginalized population, it usually comes from relationship, right? And so I had some really good friends that I had in grad school, and long story short, um, they were non-Asian people, and uh, here I am, one of the only Asian Americans in the program, and turns out that they came out to me. Uh, They were a, a queer couple, and I had not yet had a lot of exposure or knowledge about what it was like, especially being queer and Christian. And so through our friendship, there's a lot that we learn about one another, the different sorts of ways that we encountered marginalization in society, within the church, stuff like that. So um, it really got me started learning about a lot of things. And since then, it's been a while now, Friends of mine or people I knew from my home church are are now out as um, gay individuals, and I've talked with them, and um, there's still so much that I wrestle with, I wonder about, and continue to be curious about, but what I do know is this, is that um, there's something about identifying as gay or queer, however one might identify, uh, growing up in a church, usually the evangelical church is the one I'm most familiar with, and then having the Asian American identity that um, leads to a very complex set of like, emotional, relational, psychological challenges. And um, there are some people who, because of their support system, do rather well, but there are a lot of people, obviously I'm a therapist, 
So I see a lot of the pain and suffering that comes as a result of these things. And the more I am exposed to and encounter this, the more my heart is in pain. Um, so I, I wanted to reach out and support this community. Yeah. What are some of the issues that come up uh, psychologically and emotionally? Yeah. So I would say a very common experience that I've witnessed is um, pretty deep depression. And uh, how I might describe it is this. Let's say someone is in their teens or in their 20s and starting to recognize, I might have same-sex attraction, uh, but I grew up in the church and it freaks me out because um, that's not okay. I could be living in sin. My family will reject me. My church will reject me. God will reject me. So it's this, you know, trying to push that away, not even consciously wanting to acknowledge it. And then, um, so, you know, we use the word repression, but it's just not wanting to face what feels congruent with maybe my feelings, my identity, whatever that is. And then in the church arena, you don't have access to it and you kind of play along with the heteronormative ways of, of life. And then you pick up on homophobia and homophobia that's mixed with like, God hates gay people kind of homophobia. And it's really intense. And so um, just, you know, this talking about erasing shame, right? That's like an extreme form of just hiding a lot of shame. And the shame is really deep and the support system you were told you should have, which is the church, can't be there for you. And if your family's part of that church, it's, it's all an extension. And so you can imagine the isolation. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of what I've heard and things like that. Wow, yeah. What are some of the ways uh, that you try to address those issues with your clients? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, so much of it is walking with clients, validating what they're going through. Um, I'll be honest, there, there are a lot of moments when I, I don't know what the way through looks like. At the same time, I've met enough people, heard enough stories that I know it's possible. And I've seen people navigate and and when I'm saying that I'm not saying there is a clear journey for it for any person um, it, it is different for everyone whether it's uh, you know, everyone's context is different right their yeah. family their church um, whether or not they choose to be a part of church stay with their family all sorts of things and so uh, I guess for me it is listening to what the person is discovering about themselves, their lives, who God is, um, the new things about God that they encounter, the sort of self-loathing and sadness that they work through, um, finding different support systems, all of that's part of the journey. And so I, I can't say that there's been one one thing that I see in supporting people and walking with them, but I feel like for me the biggest piece is 
when someone's in my office with me, uh, really hearing them, um, valuing them as whole integrated persons. And I mean, I trust for me as a person of faith that I, I trust that God helps me figure out how to navigate that with them. Yeah. What's one of the ways that God, that, or, sorry, what's one of the things that you've learned about God uh, as you've oh. counseled and yeah. uh, you're trying to appeal to him? That's a really great question. Um, uh, you know, in the evangelical world, I, I didn't know this uh, before, but as I've wrestled with this myself, I think there's a concern about righteousness and being um, do, doing what's right. And I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I think at the same time, there's a point at which it can, uh, for me, I'll speak for myself, it can lead us to live in fear. Like, you know, God is bringing me all these opportunities. Um, and I, I don't, want to speak too much to the theological perspectives. I feel like that can be really controversial. Um, but relationally, bringing a lot of queer people into my life and um, a lot about my perspectives is, is shifting. And I feel like it's not something I necessarily chose or scripted for myself or planned on doing. And so maybe your question about I've learned about God is that you know he can lead us into places that we didn't foresee and uh, are very foreign and unknown and there's not always a clear guidebook for it um, but if I keep my heart open if I love people he puts in my way um, there's a lot that of amazing stuff that happens yeah that's wonderful yeah you mentioned how fear is an obstacle um how is fear what are some of the ways that fear or misunderstanding shows up in asian american contexts and how does that connect to yeah. this very complex issue yeah let me think about that fear I think fear is such a huge part of Asian American family life. Um, I'm thinking about that. My dissertation was on Chinese American Christian families. And when I interviewed first generation parents and second generation adult children, that's what I heard a lot about. For example, you know, when families immigrate to the United States, there is significant loss, right? On multiple levels relationally, family, financial, everything. And in that loss, I think as people, we want to hold on to things that are familiar to us, right? Our cultural norms, um, family, what we think is the way that life should go, how we want God to work in our family's life, all of that. And so anything that deviates from what keeps us feeling safe and comfortable is scary. And so, I don't know, people joke a lot about really anxious Asian-American moms, right? Mm -hmm. So moms are always saying, don't do this, do that. You know, um, 
wear this jacket, it's too cold, or don't do that, it's dangerous for you. So just be careful, be careful. And I think uh, that norm of living in fear, it, it infiltrates people who want to live a life of faith. You know, faith inherently being something that asks for stepping out into the unknown, right? Things that are not secure, not comfortable, not safe. And so I, I think there's good reason for the fear to be there. I think I want to acknowledge immigrant families and cultures have gone through a lot. And so it makes sense to, to have that. And you have all this loss that happens within a family system. But then to take on an identity with faith is a huge leap. And so um, I just think it's hard. I, I think it's something... Asian American churches and families need a lot of validation. I personally think that understanding Asian American history, immigration stories, all of that is, is critical, especially for the second generation onward to really let go of some of those fears. Like, you know, why is my family anxious or why am I anxious as a person? You know, I'll speak for myself. Like, where does that come from? Um, all of that. So, yeah. I don't even know if I answered your original question. Yeah, uh, yeah that's the first half of the question. Uh, are you still in the process of learning how uh, those sort of generational fears uh, carry over into how the issue of Christianity and same-sex attraction, uh, how does that all mix together? Oh, yeah. Yes. So the fear, I think, translates to, um, you know, this idea of, are we honoring God, like personal and family piety, right? Um, there's the cultural, racial pieces, but then spiritually, it's like our Taiwanese church, our whatever Asian American church is a huge part of our family's identity. If we don't keep walking with God in the right way, in the best way, what if my child loses their salvation? Or That's kind of the threat, right? This fear of, Will we still all be this nice, happy Christian family together if our child is not heterosexual, if they have this progressive view that I don't have as a parent? And so all these fears of someone in our family being different from what I imagined as part of our family's future, and so then holding on more tightly, um, you know, which leads to some more inflexible thoughts, right? Um, and, and we know that in that arena of more rigid ideas, uh, there tends to be mental health sy symptoms that show up in spaces like that. I'm not saying that that always happens, but usually there's this high stress in relationships then that leads to feeling unseen, invisible, alone, isolated, um, all of those sort of things. And so, you know, the fear that comes from a community of, you know, we all want to do right before God, whatever that might mean, um, then people who feel like who they are is not right with God, right? People who identify as gay or queer, that I have to keep hiding. And so there's all this fear. It, I mean, it's heavy, it's loaded, it feels really dark. Um, and in the public arena, people are living, um, following the norms and yeah. 
So mm -hmm. it's it's just really hard, I think, for everyone. Yeah. You mentioned uh, this sort of unknownness or like when your expectations for life or your expectations for family yeah. like get surprised or you get met by different sort of circumstances in life mm -hmm. uh, and that causes a lot of stress and tension. Yeah. Uh, what are some good ways that you've found to help people navigate that sort of tension? Yeah, that is an excellent question. So um, let me give a really common example and this is what started mm -hmm. me working in this area. So you have a second generation adult child Let's just say they are Taiwanese, okay? Mm. And they want to date or marry a non-Taiwanese American person. Mm. And you know, parents are freaked out, okay? Mm. Maybe they're another Asian, that's already hard, but let's say they're a non-Asian person. That makes it exponentially hard. Mm. On, on the outside, people hear that like, oh my gosh, those parents are so old school, they're so traditional, conservative. Sure, those things may be true, but what I found in my research is that it's it's fear-driven, right? It's like, let's say the parents only speak Mandarin or Taiwanese, their English is not very fluent, and now they're worried that they might lose their adult child, maybe their only child, to another family or another cultural context where they feel stuck, they don't have access to language-wise culturally, you know, they, they came to America with the hopes of their child's future success, which in their mind involved a whole family success, right? Mm -hmm. My child's going to care for me. Culturally, that makes sense. Um, but if my child is going to marry someone that I don't understand, then I'm scared to death. And so then a natural response to fear is to hold on more tightly, right? To... Mm -hmm respond to anxiety by gripping the things that we want to keep close to us. And so all of that to say, a lot of my clients happen to be the second generation adult children, and they're trying to figure out, what do I do? I care about my parents. I want to honor them, but their views I don't agree with, so on and so forth. And I actually think a lot of what we, what is helpful, like I mentioned earlier, is understanding your family's history, your parents' story of immigration, coming to a place where we can empathize with whether it's mom or dad or grandparents' story. Wow, this is the sort of loss that they faced. This is why they feel disconnected from me, or I feel disconnected from them. I think it's also understanding the um, racial experiences of discrimination, being marginalized. A lot of those stories tend not to be talked about. Uh, in general, as Asian Americans, we kind of don't think about it. We just keep working hard, pursuing what we want to for our families. Um, and we kind of push aside, oh, some of those racial issues I went through, the microaggressions, you know. So I think it's giving language to that and you know, somehow when I work along these ways with clients, it's almost like light bulbs go off. It's like, oh, no wonder mom is like that. Or um, I never thought about, you know, when our family was the only Asian family in that city or on that block, there was so much pressure to blank, 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 you know. And so I think the larger American context with this dominant, you know, white American 
you know, usually male-centered culture really does come into Asian American family life. And I, I think talking about that has been really critical for healing um, for myself first. And I say, you know, everything that I do clinically, I will say it is stuff that I have gone through in my own life. I've navigated, I think is important for my own growth. And so it makes sense to, to support my clients in doing the same, yeah. Now those are some powerful suggestions about listening more closely uh, mm -hmm. to each other and to family history, uh, but also uh, being able to identify these sort of larger cultural uh, phenomenon that are going on. Yeah. It's really insightful that you've gone, gone through that process. Yeah, yes, and it's ongoing and it's a wonderful journey. Very mm -hmm. grateful to be on it. Thanks. Do you have any tips for how to cultivate that sort of openness or willingness to listen? Mm. So if we if we have this fear and our first instinct is to is to clutch onto it more tightly, mm -hmm. how do we learn how to hold things more lightly? Yeah, excellent question. I'm very these are helping me think through a lot. You know, um, people kind of know this, but. Asian Americans tend to have a lot of psychosomatic symptoms, right? Our stress, anxiety manifests physically. So it's like stomach aches, back pain, headaches, migraines. So we tend to be disconnected from our physical and our mental, our spiritual, psychological selves, seeing it as integrated. So I know it sounds sort of basic, but I think recognizing like, okay, for example, I have a stomach ache this week, or I have some pretty bad acid reflux. Is it just from eating too many tomatoes or citrus fruits? Or is there something else going on in my life that I should attend to, right? Do I have stress at home you know, with work? Maybe there are multiple things. And when we can attend to our bodies, our minds, our relationships, I think it gives us space and permission to give ourselves a break, first of all. I think so many of us work so hard. You know, that was what was modeled to us. I think it's amazing the level of working hard that goes on in Asian American families, but there isn't space for rest, just resting my physical body, let alone my psychological and relational stuff, right? So I think giving space to do that, then we can listen to what our body needs and then hopefully get the support, whether it's seeing your physician, seeing an acupuncturist, which I totally love to do, getting a massage, all of those things so that we can be more able to you know, take care of ourselves and our families. Could you give some advice about uh, how to get that sort of help or to learn how to ask for help? Yeah, asking for help, right? We, you know, we call it help-seeking attitudes. Um, not very high in a lot of Asian American cultures. Um, you know, as the generations move on, I think uh, people's openness to asking for help is really increasing, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, I think maybe one is you know, we talk about saving face, right? We don't tell other people what's going on in our family. It'd be shameful. 
Don't tell them that mom and dad are going through this or that you're struggling with that. Why? It's it's for the sake of maintaining face, um, not wanting to be embarrassed, whatever, right? And I want to say, like, that's a really significant thing. Like, you lose so much, whether, like we mentioned, in immigration, all of that. And so holding on to some dignity is a big deal to a lot of first-generation parents. But in that... Um, I think recognizing that other families, other people are going through such similar challenges, mental health challenges, sexual orientation, um, wrestling with how to come out, how to get support if you're going to church. Um, I think the misbelief is that I'm alone and I'm the only person going through this and there's no one who can support me. I think what I would say to that is, if you do some searching online, explore social media, reach out to someone who might seem remotely safe, I think people will find that there are actually more and more communities of support who are there and available and accessible to all kinds of challenges people are going through. And um, it's a wonderful thing. I think every single day that support, these support groups are growing. And so that would be my encouragement to anyone is that, you know, no one is alone. Um, I think it's our human inclination to believe that we are. And there's a comfort in in staying in that place. Um, But that there is there are people who will love and embrace you wherever you are and to support you wherever you want to go. Yeah. Thanks, Jessica. You have a lot of insight and wisdom about these difficult issues. This concludes our episode of Erasing Shame, and this is our summer series about mental health. Be sure to give us feedback and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, and iTunes. And also, our information is on our website at erasingshame.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Erasing Shame about mental health. Visit our website for all of our episodes at erasingshame.com please subscribe on iTunes or YouTube and like us on Facebook.